The story you are about to hear is based on eyewitness testimony and evidence collected before, during, and after an actual paranormal investigation. In some instances, the names and locations have been changed to protect the identities of persons involved. When the night is calm and peaceful, loving thoughts are all in tune. There's two lonely people in the whole wide world, that's me and the man in the wood. When the little birds are nesting, nesting and I listen to them booming, there's two lonely people in the whole wide world, that's me and the man in the wood. Just before I'm counting sheep, through my window he comes to peep. And with each other we're sympathizing, we're sympathizing, looking at the happy sweetheart, sweetheart. while they sit around and spoon. There's two lonely people in the whole wide world, that's me and the man in the experienced a dream that seems too real, a room that seems too dark, a presence when we know we're alone. We exist in a world of many realities, where the impossible is probable and the unknown can be known. This is the realm of the weird. It was January of 2002 and February of 2011 and September of 2016. But the story starts in the 1930s, and it ends when I finish recording this episode, and starts again in the future, when you listen, and ends when you've finished listening. Bob Murphy had a lot of stories to tell, and many of them seemed difficult to believe. When I first met Bob, I took everything he told me, not with a grain of salt, but with a pound of it. You see, our first conversations were held in a mental health institute, and Bob was claiming to be a time traveler. At the end of 2001, I was reorganizing my life after my campaign for mayor of my hometown. Between the November election and Halloween a few days earlier, my name had been in the newspaper fairly frequently, and I was receiving a large amount of calls, letters, and emails asking me about political and paranormal events and occurrences. In the collection of notes and scraps of paper on my desk was one strangely scrawled and curiously written letter. The author of that letter explained that he was a time traveler and he'd be interested in meeting with me. He also noted that for as crazy as his claim sounded, I shouldn't need to worry since he was under observation at a local hospital for people who had, as he wrote, mental problems. I marked the letter and its author as curious, and thought that if I got bored, maybe I would investigate, or at least go and meet with the letter's author, Mr. Murphy. Two weeks later, I found myself driving to the facility where Mr. Murphy was currently staying. I signed myself in, and before the meeting with Mr. Murphy, I asked to speak with anyone on staff who was familiar with his case. I was told I would need Mr. Murphy's approval, So on my walk to his room, I thought about all of the science fiction novels and television shows and books that I had read throughout my life, all of the strange places and people I dealt with, and I was excited to meet my first time traveler. I entered the room, 
and Bob Murphy jumped to his feet and happily shook my hand. He was just under six feet tall, about 200 pounds, and on the lower side of 70 years old. Well, he said, let's get to it. No need in wasting time. He smiled and winked at me. Over the next two hours, I was told his story. Bob was born in the 1930s, worked on his father's farm, got good grades in school, joined the army. When he got out of the army, he started college, and it was here that he was asked to move to California to go to school at Berkeley. He said it was here while working on research into protons that he said that he became involved in a secret government project, which he said was called Project Black Line. When he told me the name, I laughed, and he explained that the project was only called Project Black Line. But when it was written, it was written as the word project with a literal black line after it. He explained that it helped to obfuscate the program. Anyone seeing the name written would assume something had been blacked out. His part in the project was to be one of many of the government's time travelers. According to Bob, the United States government, working with some European countries, had discovered a method of time travel. The idea was not a physical mode of travel back and forth through time, but a method of moving an individual's mind back and forth within that person's lifetime. So in essence, the time traveler's mind could only go backward and forward through the time traveler's lifespan. Again, I thought of the science fiction books I had read and mentioned that Bob's claim sounded very much like a Kurt Vonnegut novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, where the main character's mind becomes unstuck in time and jumps along the character's life. Bob admitted that he had read that story and that it indeed sounded similar, but he reassured me that his story was not science fiction. Over the weeks I spoke with Bob, I also met with his doctors, who all told me that he was not only safe, but seemed mentally sound. I also found out that Bob had checked himself into the Institute and was free to leave any time. I pressed Bob many times on if he could give me proof of his claims. Every time I did this, he would give me some excuse which always left me frustrated. He told me that he would be dead by the year 2020 because he couldn't go that far into his future. He also consistently told me, you'll tell this story of mine for a long time. Some of Bob's excuses for lack of evidence stemmed from the fact that Bob said Project Blackline had ended in failure. There was no way for someone traveling in the past to affect influence in the past. If the time traveler did change the past, then from that moment a new separate reality was formed, which would eventually at some point in the future collapse back into the original timeline. No matter how you tried to change the past, it would eventually correct itself. Also, one of the problems discovered was that if a time traveler moved his mind into a future body, once he got there, it meant that there was a past and since the past can't be changed, you're basically stuck as an observer inside of yourself to watch events which cannot be influenced, or at least have a lasting effect. My visits with Bob came to a head in the middle of March of 2002. I went to visit Bob, and after a few minutes of talking and playing chess, he told me, Listen, John, I know you don't believe me, but that's fine. But I want you to leave now and come back whenever you remember me saying hello to you. I smiled and asked what he meant, and he leaned back and smiled at me. Tomorrow, I'll go back in time. I'll find you in your past, grab your arm, look you in the face, and say your name. You just tell me when you remember it. He smiled strangely and continued, I won't be able to change anything, but that should be small enough for you to remember me. 
As he spoke to me, for the first time, I felt something akin to fear. Someone was going to be messing around with my past. Before I could think or feel any weirder, Bob told me to go. I said goodbye and walked out to my car. I drove about two miles before I stopped and pulled into a gas station parking lot. My mind was reeling. Of all the strange places I'd been in my life, of all of the weird people I've talked to, I sat now in a parking lot, my hands shaking. In 1993, I was in a band. We traveled all around Michigan and many times played a little venue in Muskegon called the Ice Pick. It was a tiny punk club, stage made of wooden pallets, stage lights inside of silver painted coffee cans. The kids there were silly, usually drunk, never threatening. Yet it was at the Ice Pick in 1993 that for once in my life, I feared for my life. My band had just finished our set, and I was walking through the punk rock kids in the club when a grown man reached through the crowd and grabbed me. I stared into his face, shocked that an old man was at the show. His grip on my shoulder was firm, but he smiled. It seemed horrible to me at the time, and he said, Hello, John. I was shaking more than ever as I sat in the parking lot, remembering the event which had happened almost ten years earlier. The event which perfectly matched with what Bob had said he was going to do tomorrow in the past. I raced home and tried to piece it all together. A week later, I had gotten up the nerve to go back and see Bob, but he had checked himself out. I tried for weeks to track him down, but I never saw him again. In 2011, I started a podcast called Realm of the Weird. As I dug through my old cases, I came across my notes about Bob Murphy, the time traveler. I sat down, wrote the episode, recorded it, and I was set to release it in February of 2011. The night before I released the episode, I received an email. It said, I hope you're doing well and everything is working out. See, you're still telling my story. It was signed Robert. The address the email came from bounced back when I tried to reply. I traced it as far as I could. I came up with nothing. How did he know that I was about to release his story? I shelved the episode. I wrote an apology on the website. I waited for five years. I've rewritten it, and you're listening to it now. I still don't really know if I believe Bob's story of time travel, even though my memory of certain events want me to believe. I destroyed the original episode I recorded five years ago, but I felt the need to revisit this case. If anything Bob said to me 14 years ago was true... It was that I would be telling this story for a long time. To me, the strangest part of this story is that unlike every other episode of Realm of the Weird, there's no twist ending, no shocking conclusion. It's stranger than that. If Bob was telling the truth, then somewhere I'm meeting him right now again for the first time, and you're reaching the end of this episode again for the first time, over and over again. For the last time, for the first time, the next time, and the first time. Over and over and over. In the realm of the weird.